Welcome back to the Basement Fellow Music Lovers. You are now tuned into yet another exciting adventure with us here on Twinkle Glass of the Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin, as usual. And we are continuing on in our week full of Discologists right now. Uh, this episode here, we're going to talk to you about an album that is near and dear to my heart. In fact, you could damn well say it, it defines me. Ariam's um, Murmur is was a landmark when it came out. It, it changed a lot of things. It certainly changed a lot of things for a little band from Athens, Georgia. And uh, But it set a template, not just musically, of what people were, were liking. I mean, they... They were ended up a lot being a lot like you too. They would pull stuff from the underground up into the pop sphere, especially when you get to albums like Green and Monster and everything, uh, which you two did uh, brilliantly as well on like Octoon Baby, uh, Zeropa especially, which we're going to talk about here in a few weeks. But um, but really, they set a template of, of how you operate as a as a band. Um, this is something that uh like what i followed here at the site you know the whole idea was barry buck mills and stipe everything is attributed to that uh everything we do is just it's just chunky glasses uh because uh that forces you to put down your ego and it is it is a model that uh i wish more bands would follow i know some bands don't and i know look you do your songwriting and everything but but if you're in a band and you are a band person uh it is the way to go and it proved uh, the way for them to go, even after uh, Bill Berry left the group uh, after a little accident with an exploding uh, blood vessel in his brain. But at any rate, uh, this album uh, this album changed my life when I heard it. This band changed my life. It might have changed your life. You might not even know this. I was talking to somebody the other day, and they're like, I don't even know what their first album was. Well, this is it. So, uh, so that's what we're doing. We're going to dive deep into it. This is a love letter to an album that myself, uh, Carrie, and uh, Michael Zorn all all three of us love that thing and and uh and yeah and it, it's just uh is, is a good chat about a great album reminiscing uh, about being old honestly uh, uh but that's okay um you know the, it's long been speculated what the name of the band stands for rem and my favorite explanation was remember every moment and that is uh and so that's what that's what we do that's why we tape all this stuff and and uh and that's why this band, I uh, will remember every single moment that I've spent with them. And now we're going to spend a little bit more time with them down in the basement. So if you're ready uh, to go hang out, a couple of my friends talk about an album that we all know and love. Uh, let's go. Here we go. Newest episode of Chunk Glass of the Podcast talking about R.E.M.'s Murmur. Seventy thousand downloads. Thank you very much. I mean, me. You're saying you're saying off the record, like I have anything to do with seventy fucking with thousand downloads. <laughs> Not in my you, voice. Think about that. No, there's That's a lot of them are yours. I I can actually go back and parse the data and find out how many of those thousands are yours. But I would get I would guess with at least ten. <laughs> I bet you get at least forty five listens out of that ten thousand. That are you? Huh. I'm all right with that. What's crazy about all that is that we've never talked about REM. Yes, we have. Yes, we have. Except for that one time. I'm not- <laughs> <laughs> the two of us are like, wait, I was here. We I were, remember it happened. We were on that. Except for that, that one out. time. Except for that. Look, they- the <laughs> Capitals played today. They won a game they shouldn't have. Might have had a few beers, a Bloody Mary and whatnot. I don't know. There might uh, be some raw salmon involved. We might be dealing with salmonella poisoning. Yes, know? we'll definitely deal with that all our lives. You guys didn't know that, did you? Life is salmonella poisoning. It's, <laughs> it's just, just a slow dive to the just bottom. Just a slow dive to the bottom. No, um, but we haven't talked about their first album. The the reason we all fell in love with, I would say REM, uh, but I, I would also say the reason a lot of us fell in love with music, period, uh, back in 1983, uh little band that nobody ever fucking heard of. Chronic Town was out. Maybe if you were listening to college radio, you, like, you maybe got it. Uh, I do remember later... 
there really wasn't that much college radio. There wasn't that much there college radio either. Like later, so. later. I mean, they were. This is this is why college radio exists, right? Uh, later, uh, I do remember like seeing a friend who had a copy of it. I don't know why they had a copy of it. This was in like late middle school, early high school. Uh, if you're in place, places age wise for us down here. Um, but Michael Stipe, Peter Buck, uh, Mike Miller, uh, you know them as one of this, this is one of the greatest bands in rock and roll period. Like there is, they're undisputed. You can decide how you take their catalog. I, I prefer their legacy and at new adventures in hi-fi, <laughs> but some people like do the, but the, the fact is, is that, that they, uh, weren't just one of the biggest bands, but they literally defined what indie rock is today. Uh, and they did it with the album we're going to be talking about today. Murmur. Um, this thing was, first of all, it started off as <laughs> hilariously as a, uh, almost like a major label thing. They were on IRS and somebody said, Hey, we're going to, we're gonna really push you. We've heard your, we've heard your demos. We're gonna really like get you on here and get. Took him to the producer, and and the producer asked it up, like quite frankly. Do you, do you need more synthesizers with this? Because I'm going to put some synthesizers <laughs> right, right. and some keyboard the, the, on the this. The producer asked it up, and so they went back to their their friends who are still operating today. Who like uh, mm-hmm. Mitch Easter like produced our friend Skylar Goodass's album. Yep. Like these are people that are still working today, and uh, in 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 the sleepy town they were did this in Charlotte where they recorded it, but. They're from Athens, Georgia, and Athens, Georgia, back in the 80s, was exactly what you see. If you look at this album on the cover, it's, it's Katsu everywhere. It is mysterious. It is what people people didn't know dick all about the South because the internet didn't exist. And and then all of a sudden on the airways, you had a song that is, uh, again, for my money, this is the beginning of college rock, period. Uh, so here's a little bit of Ready for Europe, and then we're going to get into like fanboying out about this shit. the jangly guitars all the mumbly mumble whatever the fuck Stipe <laughs> is doing with that gorgeous baritone voice uh, the, all the mystery all the excitement everything everything that would define R.E.M. for uh, how many albums do they do total like 12, 13, 14 like th- their entire career like was found right here uh, in Murmur and when it landed People hadn't heard a single goddamn thing like. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so this is Michael. So I get in here and I was listening to a record on Spotify yesterday from a band from Melbourne, Australia, from 2018 called Rolling Blackouts Coastal Fever. Mm-hmm. And I listened to it and I was like, "Oh my god, that's the Peter Buck Rickenbacker sound right there!" Right. And it's literally the same sort of ta- sound from 1983 that you hear in 2018. I was like, "That just defined a whole genre right there." That guitar. And obviously, Stipe's singing and, and lyrics are, are important, but but the guitar tone that Buck has right there that was not existent before then, and, well, and it's just amazing. It just it just defined a whole genre. There's that, and there's also this is Carrie. Hello, and <laughs> um, like if you start listening to the Shins, there's yeah. no way that you can like the Shins and mm-hmm. not love every single thing about this because. It is that same sensibility, that same like really tight songwriting. Every instrument is very crisp, but also like muddied just enough to make it interesting. And then you have lyrics that are completely 
indiscernible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All, all it is radio, something, blah, blah, <laughs> and like, try, that's it. Try singing this shit in the shower. It right, right. Work. Yeah, it will not work. But, you know, they, you, the funny thing about, like, Buck, too, is, like, like everybody who, and this, obviously, anytime you introduce a little twang, which there is some twang in this, people are like, the birds, and the birds are a huge yeah. influence on them, mm-hmm. as are the Beach Boys. Uh, and and y- you hear that in people, like, often the guitars you hear are birds, like, Buck did something very odd mm-hmm. and created his own thing. It's bu- The way he plays, it's Buckian. Like, you can't, th- there is a certain way he can play, it is it is nigh impossible to sound as as fluid and as perfect as it, and this goes throughout their entire career. And it's established right here. It's established like in the way he supports the songs because, you know, Stipe is doing what he's going to do. Uh, Bill Barry and Mike Mills have been playing together since high school, so they had locked in. And it's, that's the rhythm section, bass and drums. Uh, Mike Mills would later prove himself to be a, at least uh, harmonically speaking, kind of a musical genius. Yeah. He is, he is. All of his side projects are just brilliant. You know, and, and, and it's also established here, I think, uh, that there is. They have one of the best models uh, of how to do a band legally. <laughs> uh, yeah. Everything was under Barry Buck Mills and Stipe. Yep. And that was for a reason, because while Michael Stipe was writing the lyrics, and, and what we even now associate it with, like, oh, he wrote the lyrics, and he wrote the song and everything, there's a, a ping-ponging back and forth on this album and throughout their career, I think, where you can't tell like is Mike Mills more responsible for the success of that song is honestly Bill Barry mm-hmm. you know Bill, we they lost Bill Barry later on in the career but as much stuff as sounds like this and sounded like this later like the Connells are a direct descendant right. of this the Connells uh, are a lot cleaner and a lot less and interesting not in a bad way i like the Connells and but and the drummers and and the drummer is not <laughs> Bill Barry no like the you're also not going to come back and listen. I mean, I, I adore the Connells, but I you're not going to go back and listen to their music over and over again. Well, Whereas it, this, yeah. I mean, I, I literally come back to some song or the entire album on Murmur and then some of their stuff from later 80s, mm-hmm. like once a month. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, has, it has a timeless uh, sort of weird... Uh, mystical like quality to it uh i want to play another song but first i want to say what this song was up against in 1983 (laughs) so to give you the context i know where this is going we've all looked up the same yeah so so so, so to give you the context of of why and how stuff breaks through and like redefines stuff even though in my mind is it's inexplicable there's. I don't understand why this album was a success. I don't understand why it hits so hard. I don't understand why there's literally nothing like it. But in 1983, The Police, Synchronicity. Metallica, Just Getting Started, Kill Them All. Uh, Culture Club is still peaking. Not only that, they colored by numbers out there. One of my favorite albums that we're going to talk about eventually uh, Seven and the Ragged Tiger, Duran Duran, right, right. which is yes. not even Duran Duran's best album. <laughs> right. It is cheesy as fuck. So they're they're they've they've peaked and are like the ride down. Nine hundred one two five by Yes, and I think that is like really weird because these guys are they. If you talk to them, they are prog rock fans. Like they, the whole idea of college rock and indie rock at that time was doing something alternative because that's what it morphed into like alternative music um u2 which turned out to be their their closest peers analog war mm-hmm. as out war is their third album uh on the radio pyromania uh def leopard and honestly the biggest ass rock album of all time zz tops eliminator but you also had come on eileen out that you year. had come on eileen out that year bark at the moon fucking flash dance came out flash that dance year. that year <laughs> fucking can't slow down, can't Lionel Richie. For fuck all. But yeah, can't slow down, Lionel Richie. Uh, and and honestly, a sign of of what this wasn't just happening in Athens; it was happening in New York. Uh, speaking in tongues, talking mm-hmm. heads. Yeah, right. So there was some something going on 
outside all this that admittedly uh because i was 10 or 11 when this came out uh i wasn't quite picking up on well cuz you were too busy listening to hollow notes i was i was i was absolutely <laughs> busy one on one came out that year also <laughs> <laughs> oh man brings back the memories but uh but 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 on on you could watch mtv you could listen to college radio and you could hear a song called talk about the passion and it wasn't like anything. And it was just uh, it was just special. And so here's a little bit of that. distracted because it's so lovely i know i know it's great but 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 seriously so think about this in a year that literally the music space is all about blowing it out the ass of rock and roll like you have a song that has like these subtle jangly guitars and cellos and violas underneath the jam if you will in this song and and uh, lyrics that mean absolutely nothing. That mean nothing. <laughs> nothing. There's no liner notes on any of the albums. <laughs> it's just so like you can't tell what the yeah, hell he's talking about. It, it, it's just like it built this mystery and it built this like they have a reputation of being a Southern band. And uh, and literally they tap into that uh, mystery. So I, I'll tell you a little bit about Katsu and then I feel like I've been talking a lot about this. So growing up in, in Southern Virginia – uh, is from here there to Georgia, and, and it is literally everywhere. It's an invasive vine; it just got taken over. But when you see it, um, like on the cover here, uh, overtake a structure, it is unintentionally and unimpossibly beautiful because it's it's nature reclaiming it at a, something at a rate that wouldn't normally happen. And literally, uh, they had to cut. Cut you can grow, grow like a foot a week. Yeah, yeah. And and so you had to cut like they cut roads out of this stuff, and then they had spent like millions of dollars like trying to keep the roads open, right? Um, and and so it is it is, and, and it says a lot about maybe a lot of stuff in the south needing to be buried. It's also um, over an abandoned railroad mm-hmm. uh, station, so it's mm. it's kind of like to me. I always took it as if you're covered in kudzu, you just have to kind of like stop. And you're not moving. You need to just stand still. And yeah. this album came out when they're like everything was going full synth. You had Prince's 1999. You had um, Michael Jackson's Thriller out that year. Mm-hmm. Everything was all about um, dance, 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 and synthesizers mm-hmm. and flash dance. And I think Madonna came out that Madonna's first album was out that year. And this album was just so it was so different than anything that you had heard, but it was reminiscent of. Of like the birds and mm-hmm. quieter, just gentler times. Um, I felt I, when I was listening to it when I was in high school, um, I, it reminded me of it's like this is like the American version of the Fix, where you had where you had like the the really like echoey vocals that sounded like they were recorded in you know somebody's closet or a basement or a silo. Mm-hmm put on top of a lot of really interesting um, guitar work and the the songs were really well put together. Um, I don't know why the two bands always reminded me of each other, but um, I just always felt like this was kind of this, and I don't, I still don't think of REM as a Southern band. Hmm. 
Really? I, 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 never I always have. thought of REM as a southern band. I mean, it's because you're not from the south. I'm not from the south, so I'm, <laughs> I'm from the Midwest. So everything south of the Indiana Kentucky border is southern, but I'm from Indiana. So anyway, so see, I don't even hear Sipes' accent, frankly. Really? Yeah. Oh, I, I can totally hear the accent. I, no, I know, uh, but I don't hear it. So have you heard he, my accent? It's yeah. not as thick as yours. So, <laughs> I've had some beers. I was thinking about um, the fact that. REM was always in their circle, always a very popular band. They, their very first shows sold out in Georgia. They, they toured a lot after just their first EP. They got a national audience after that. And they were a popular band mm-hmm. in the sense that they found an audience that maybe didn't exist before because the, the, ar- the archetypal college rock to mainstream career arc didn't exist before they had created it. It, it was probably... The groundwork was there with college towns and people who listened to, uh, you know, freeform radio and local, you know, rock journalists and such before before zines, obviously before the internet. So that that infrastructure was starting to be there, but they were the first band to really create a career arc by leveraging it, building their audiences in little towns and college communities, and then touring incessantly, incessantly touring for years upon years until they, you know, kind of reached the world conquering heights that they would later reach. But the the formula was all there when they released Chronic Town and, and Murmur. Mm-hmm. They had the whole thing. They had the whole gestalt of the band was already really well formed by the time that they were putting out their first song. So that's why it sounds so both fresh and still mature at the time. It's not raw. I mean, the band really was a well-formed artistic ensemble. They had all the pieces that make well, it really Town was, fit. Chronic Town was fantastic. It's and then amazingly I think they were, good in they worked, on, they worked on these for like two years before this yeah. album came out. If you, if, if anybody is listening to this that's under the age of 30, I, I don't know why you're listening to this. You should <laughs> go find something else to do. But if you're our age or over 30 and you remember back in the day, before you, there were no college radio stations. There was no internet. If you didn't have a really good record store accessible to you, right. you were kind of fucked. And that's why Peter you Buck wouldn't have met. This. That's you wouldn't why, have heard this. That's, why they that's worked where I in found record this. Stores. I worked at yeah, exactly. And I worked at a really. I lived in this really tiny town in Kentucky, mm-hmm. but I could get to Lexington. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of stuff going on in Lexington. There, there were two fantastic record stores. Mm-hmm. One of which was called Cut Corner. And I remember I went into Cut Corner when I was in high school. We had used to had to like sneak over there because we weren't allowed to drive to Lexington because it's a big city. And you'd go in and they would have this on or they'd have some other thing that you had never heard of before. And that's where you heard of like pretty much anything. If you wanted to listen to Talking Heads, you weren't hearing it on the radio. If you wanted to listen to R.E.M., you weren't hearing on the radio. If you wanted to listen to even like yeah. English Beat wasn't on the radio. Mm-hmm. Any and, sort of and, punk wasn't and, on the radio. And, and to be clear, so so like I came into R.E.M. at Life Search Pageant. And it was just, it happened, somebody happened to have a copy of it. And heard it in, in the second, and we'll eventually talk about that album too, but the second you hear that intro and then you dig further into that album, you hear a band, honestly a band in a, in a stage of reinvention, but you, it, 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 it's one of those few records that you, you're like, I need to know everything about this band <laughs> now. <laughs> and when you dig back through the previous few albums, you find out that like, holy shit, like, this is a it's like this is a whole other band that is doing this stuff, but yet everything is there up front. I think it's interesting, um Jack, we're gonna play now that you know, we, we mentioned talking heads and disco wasn't qu- I mean it was dead. <laughs> right? But but they definitely pulled from it. But a big thing going on in Athens and clearly in New York, were dance parties. Yeah. Right? People like to dance. You have bands like Pylon. Pylon. Or B-52s. Yeah, B-52s. Yeah, yeah, or B-52s. We we haven't got there yet. I can't say B-52s. Yeah, yeah. We haven't got there yet. But, but, you know, the even on the moody pieces in this, which we're going to get to a few, uh, the rhythm section has something that just, like, I don't know, it, it, I've never often, or I haven't often thought about REM in terms of soul music, but it's, it's like they're they pulling instead of like some indie rock bullshit, like pulling from Ty Siegel and be like, that's my main influence. Like they're pulling from like Otis Redding. They're pulling from like all these classic bands and, and working into another place. And uh, 
this maybe isn't the best example of it, but it is at least an example of like sort of you play this at a party in a church in Athens, Georgia in Dance party now. <laughs> dance party now, indie, man. Indie rock dance party 83. I can hear it. Like, so, so look, we are, uh, we, we know the house show scene here in Washington, D.C. in 2018. We know all this underground, like, music. We, we, we are familiars, if you will. Uh, I have yet to be to a show that I'm like, yeah, this is just going to be a fucking dance party. We're just going to fucking do it. And it's fun. I mean, it 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 draws you in. It includes you. It just I, I can't even. And granted, my brain has been spoiled by listening to this for fucking thirty years. So, like, whatever. It, it's, it's, it's more than that. Yeah. Well, that's probably when years. he heard it. But yeah, yeah. And I, I'll disagree about there not being anything that that makes you get up and dance right now. Cause I, cause you and I have not very like di- this though. You and I have very different tastes and, and I can think of four shows that I'm that are lined up in my, f- like Matt and Kim is next week. And that oh, is, no, that, that's a different kind of dance. No, man, this is, da- dance this, this is dancing for the kids who like, if they went out in public, they get a wedging. <laughs> and, and, and okay. this is like, this is like, you can gather with all your the Dungeons friends. and Dragons you kids. Can yes, your exactly. <laughs> your daughter is what I'm saying. But this is no. This is the dance party. That with pride. This is the dance party for when like you you'd see in eighties movies and you'd see the people who are like, at the time like there's I actually think, a video going around the internet right now that is big eighties dance party and it just makes me laugh my ass off because it is exactly everything that you saw. It's everywhere like, in the eighties. With the shitty dancing and everybody's moving around and has terrible hair. It's like kids who can't commit to God. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right. Right. But I'm this not is, quite at the cure yet. I'm not ready for the cure yet. Yeah, I'm going to listen to this. The, cure, but you, the Smiths and, is too sad. And this is clearly, <laughs> yeah, yeah. This right. is influenced by right. that. And, and, but like the idea of, of, of seeing something like this, uh, and there's a local band that kind of gets there. Uh, they, they got a lot more work to do. Uh, Brenda out of Washington oh, DC yeah. mm-hmm. uh, is is the spirit is there the output just isn't but but this is the thing that like embody Athens Georgia this is what brought people to Athens Georgia this is why you know B-52s now why nobody knows Pylon well, I mean people know Pylon but not really if you know anything you should know Pylon well, you, you, know, you Pylon. know the REM cover of Crazy which yes which is yes. one of the things I did to you know mm-hmm. pay tribute to their local friends and allies if you haven't seen, um, there's a documentary called Athens, Athens Georgia, Georgia Inside, Inside Out. Out. Yeah. Oh, you stole my thunder. <laughs> Sorry. You should know, but it's it's nice that somebody else has seen that too. How it's, old is that documentary? Uh, I don't know. It's like eighty five, I think. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's a contemporaneous but, documentary. But, uh, I'm gonna not not throw out a pitch, but Omnivore Records did a reissue with the DVD and all the music on that, which has the REM cover of Everly Brothers. All you have to do is dream. And it's so yeah. good. And, and, make and, melt. and if it's you so remember, um, so I'm sitting still, for they example. they just did that completely off the... Uh, oh, yeah. I don't, think it, was, I don't just, think it was rehearsed. It was not yeah. rehearsed at all. So if you hear the REM uh, sitting still with Bill, with, uh, Bill Berry and mm-hmm. Mike Mills doing the harmony vocals, you're like, oh, yeah, these guys, really, they're really quality singers and they know how to work together. They, as Kevin says, they were playing together since they were in high school bands together. Well, so then, Mills okay, is a but great this was harmonist. Also, yeah, right. Okay, but you say, oh, they were playing together since high school. This is when they were in college. They, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not, like, it's not like they'd been playing for like a decade together. Yeah. No, I mean, they l- were in literally college how this came, came like, How this came together, like Michael Stipe walked into a fucking record, Walk or, Street or and was like, was hey, like, Peter Buck. And Peter Buck was like, we like the same things. Do you want to start a band? And they just knew somebody, and they did, and yeah. that's it. Which is how a lot of bands start, but it is nice to know the history of this one that it started 
at the University of Georgia in Athens, you know, like right. somewhere small, you know, and, and it just blossomed into this. People give Mitch Easter like all this credit for developing this band. And basically he was smart enough to know to leave him alone. Yeah. And let them record how they damn well wanted to. Yeah. And this came out of it. And that's, it really is just kind of the jump off point for a lot of stuff that you listen to. And people think that, uh, well, not people think that I, you, you tend, you, 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 some people, many people say, you tend to think that, uh, like all this stuff kind of all blended together. Like, oh, that REM was out at the same time as Secure, at the same time as the Smiths. And mm-hmm. actually, a lot of this stuff came out after these guys. Mm. And you, you, if you actually go through and look at the history of, of, the, the timing on things like when did when did you two really hit versus when you think they did and when did rem really hit versus when you think they did and i and i think you have to consider too that like back then especially it was uh, we, we were talking about like quote unquote alternative music it it was very anglo focused mm-hmm. right so there was no cool alternative music happening in the United States, it just it just wasn't happening. Well, there's no outlet for it. There's if, no outlet if, for if it. There, if there if so, there were an out if there were music happening like that, it, it may have been in these tiny little pockets. You would not have known about it. Right. It's, it's not like KEXP was like broadcasting <laughs> online everywhere. Right. Or like my radio station in college didn't start until 1988, and it's called Radio Free Lexington. And Radio Free Europe is the first song that I played on my like mm-hmm. inaugural DJ thing. And I looked back right. like. That was so cliche. But now I look back on it it's now, and I'm not, like, "Oh though. my god, I I can't believe I did that." You know, well, it's not cliche <laughs> because it it literally like for a lot of Americans like that. You know, we have a tendency as Americans to, like want to have our own thing, and, right. and and but there's also a tendency of the the best music we make has to go to England to, to get popular, and then it comes back. Right. In fact, not not the tendency. That's just how it is. But, <laughs> but this album actually got huge in Britain, and they'd never been over there yet. Yeah. Yeah. So this is reminding me of something. So because the internet has flattened everything, it's hard to remember that that scenes used to be incredibly intensely regional. Mm-hmm. So the fact that there was a Columbus and Akron and Dayton scene, and there's a new, obviously a New York scene, and yep. But these little college towns, you know, there wasn't the the critical mass to have the n- number of bands to come out, but they were intently, you know, self. They were supportive of one another, which is important, and they. They had friends, so you know you would go from Winston Salem to you'd go for, to some other town. You go to Charlottesville. Mm-hmm. You go to you know you'd crash in some place in D.C. You crash someplace outside of Baltimore. So you like had this little. You go to Boston. You, that's not really a big college. Yeah, town. well, yeah. yeah, that's a good line. Not really a big college it's not really town. A big college town. Uh, but like, there's a whole ecosystem that gets created with these kind of bands touring and building their audiences, and then. As quote unquote college radio becomes first, it was alternative radio. That was yeah. the terminology then. Yeah. Uh, after a while, but uh, but the ecosystem that REM and and their peers sort of create, it's an alternate route to popular success. Not going to Europe, not going to England and getting a record label in right. London. Because you're not on a record label. Well, they were on labels, but, well, yeah, but, but not, know, not, was, not big labels. It was not, not one that could was, really like, support a tour. So U2 was hired by Island Records, you know, right. the very first, you know, after their first single, mm-hmm. they got a major, major, major contract. So obviously they had resources that, you know, you didn't have when you were recording on Hibtone and you were recording uh, right, in, right, right. in Winston-Salem and Mitch Easter's Garage or whatever. But, you know, they created a whole ecosystem. And that's what I, I find in retrospect so amazing is that pre-internet, pre-zine, pre all these modern mechanisms that existed, they managed to work and create the kind of artistic and commercial um, landscape that allowed the music to sort of rise to the prominence that eventually got. And um, I think it's almost as interesting a story in its own way as the artistic success of the record, which of course is is monumentally consequential. But I think it's just really interesting to know how these bands rose from where they were like you mentioned violent femmes so the violent femmes came out at the same time mm-hmm. from where wisconsin it's oh, like yeah. not big right. not big heartland of the record industry right. the first time i saw them was in our student center oh very good and that, that's the yeah. thing is like a lot of these bands like by the time we actually got a college radio station mm-hmm. up and running at in in lexington rem was already too big, too big to bring that, in yeah. they were at like our lower arena mm-hmm. of like one of our bas- one of our extra basketball arenas extra basketball <laughs> arenas. but like violent femmes was at the student was at the student yeah. center you would see like you know your student union would yeah. would be the person who would like I, there were so many right. co- so many shows at iu 
Like we would drive up to Bloomington to go see because their IU, their student center was really active in bringing in all of these great small bands that ended up becoming huge. And then you'd you'd see them and and they'd just be like, stand there in your, the stupid center. You know, (laughs) the stupid center. And and, and for, you know, fact check, uh, so REM recorded one of their records in Bloomington with Don Geeman, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. formerly of John Mellencamp producer. Yeah. So that's, you know, you had to get John Mellencamp in this. I I wasn't trying to, but you made it so obvious. It was hard to miss. Pitch you big softball. Wait till the summer, man. Scarecrow. Oh We're doing it. We are doing Scarecrow. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think, uh, yeah, the, the network they, they helped create was kind of amazing. And there's this weird thing that goes on. So bands, we're celebrating this. And I think we're all of the type to think, like, well, fuck, this is the biggest band in the world. And think that this doesn't go on anymore. And I think it does, but at this time, it certainly felt like that, right? It was like, if you heard them, if you heard them pre One I Love, (laughs) like, if you were onto them, then it it was something actually special. Like, because the, the route you had to take to get to this band, never mind see this band. Right. Uh, but to get to this band, uh, was kind of insane. Because I think the reason that the one I love took off as much as it did is because they actually started really in encompassing incorporating videos Mm -hmm. much more and like really embracing that whole MTV thing that how big you could get on MTV and that one video. I mean, that song is just also devastating. Song's devastating. Yeah. But the, but the video is just so interesting and all the you know whatever you called a hipster at that time frame they everybody glommed on is trying to figure out what it meant and what does this song mean and well and also people were just finally like who the fuck is this band yeah. <laughs> like who the fuck are these guys come out <laughs> and and it should have happened on life's pageant it, well it should have happened on murmur mm. right should have happened on fucking reckoning right. it should have happened on fables of reconstruction i mean <laughs> Uh, it should happen on all their albums, but uh, something about like them just grinding away and paving the road for all this built this like in my mind built a groundswell of sort of like minded music that it ultimately like lifted them up into whatever they got to at that point. Uh, but it's a song I think that I want to play next that actually showed that they were. I hate to say always better than all the bands that they inspired. This is their first album. And you don't get to write a song this good. <laughs> like You just don't get to write a song this good uh, in your career. And if you do, you are the luckiest motherfucker on the planet. But they did it on their first album. And uh, and they finally acknowledged it in some video later on. Because people didn't... people. You, this was on the radio. This album was on the radio forever. And people were like, I don't know this song. People still only bought singles, but Perfect Circle is a perfect song, and so here's a little bit. Pull your dress on, stay real close. Who might leave you where I left off? The perfect circle of acquaintances and friends. The simple perfection of how that song is constructed and how we were talking off mic. The three of us don't know what the fuck Michael Stipe is saying, and it doesn't matter. Because that means something to me, and it means something different to you, Carrie. It means something different to you, Michael. And it is 
for I mean for me it is burned into my like head and my heart as just this like if I need comfort I need something I'm feeling a little mod like and I can just turn it on I'm like yeah like let's get there I, I think I've said this in one of the other uh, these discology things that we do like these are not critiques of mm-hmm. albums these mm-hmm. are not what is this album what what is it lacking what did you expect blah 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 if you're pulling it out of a 35 year hole it's because it is yeah. something that is definitely <laughs> like touched you in some way it's basically a love letter to a band and this song um remind like when i pull through like the entire rem catalog of like songs that just really stand out to me for a particular mm-hmm. type of song like this song is like really evocative of you are the everything off mm-hmm. of green. Yeah. yeah. And then you like delve and then it goes right back in, which is just more way more raw and way more just pleading and needy. Whereas this is like the intimacy of like the throwaway lines in Perfect Circle are just what really like draws mm-hmm. it to me. And then you also listen to like night to night swimming or find, find the, the river. river and and you just you're not sure if they're love songs or not you're not quite sure what they are right but you know that it's a song that you really want the person that you have a secret crush on to put on a yeah, mixtape yeah. and slip in your locker you there's, know there's something you want someone else to feel the same way about that song as you do there's something that I think they stuck the landing on this and on most other albums there that that uh, I don't know how often it's discussed about REM. But they are a nighttime band. Like, Y'all want to hear my accent get worse? <laughs> Let's get it. Uh, I I I think um, like with this particular song, it 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 hints. Uh, you named all the songs. It hints at all these places that they would later go. So does the rest of the album. To be honest, there's a there's a break. There's a flu, there's a flow in this album. There's a pattern to this album. Mm-hmm. That no matter where they go, even on like you guys like Monster, I hate Monster, but there are oh, really? parts of Monster I didn't know that I can't stand Monster, <laughs> with the exception of Tongue, which uh, I freaking pull what on. About to. you? Oh, love it, but okay. it, it, but it's just there. There, the pattern is there. Yeah, this is the break in all the other things that just kind of lets you recenter yourself. It mm-hmm. lets you sit down and get covered with kudzu. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that's kind of it. And, and and so, you know, think of the band, the, the phrase Southern Gothic, like, evokes a bunch of different things, but for me, it does evoke nighttime, and it evokes some, not necessarily an absinthe haze, but but, <laughs> but but definitely, you know, they recorded... You're not, not going to go to, like, Garden of the... Look, they recorded a lot of this on Midnight Speed. There are reports they recorded a lot of this on Speed, like, and they played all these shows. Like, there that's was a how lot they of beer in these parties, too. Yeah, a lot of beer in these parties. This this <laughs> this is, like, sweaty, like, human, not, like, swe- not sexy sweaty. No. This is just, like, sweaty human music. and And their catalog follows this path of of being this sort of nighttime music that is not um to quote Bob Dylan like it's it's not like it's, it's getting dark yet. It's not dark yet, mm-hmm, but, but it's, it's like there. it's getting there and I don't know. I mean, I feel like a lot of these songs are conversations that, whereas whereas some songs and some artists really play on the I want to get to know you better yeah. and I you know I Howard Jones, I'd like to get to know you well, yeah. but I don't know you just yet. <laughs> Howard Jones is like 11 o'clock in the morning, whereas R.E.M. That's is... That's what I'm saying. Yeah, R.E.M. is like that late night. You These songs, you are talking to somebody that you have known for a really long time. And you're probably too drunk. And you may or may not <laughs> continue to want to be friends with them right, anymore. Right, right, right. <laughs> or you may want to. Maybe you but want you to make know. more of the friends. Like, it doesn't... Like, there, there, there's, a, there's a weird... Because, like... <laughs> Later on uh, in, in his career, Mike, Michael Stipe came out as gay, and uh, he was gay here. Like his, you know, so like all the people who were like getting like pumped up at Orange Crush, like man, music, eh, you know, <laughs> no, no. Uh, but uh, you know, it, it, it it's it's so weirdly humanistic in a way that I can't, I literally can't name any artist that has achieved that thing. Now this, I, I will say, this needs to be taken in a dose with reckoning and re- especially reconstruction of the fables hmm. or fables of the reconstruction, whatever. Dep- whatever. Depending whatever on you, you, how you turn which the album, the album, yeah, the album, <laughs> the album. <laughs> which um, be- because it it does and it, and it was like they have certain periods 
and and that this was these three albums were their their sort of dark gothic southern period. They broke out of it a little on um on pageant, but uh, they still had Swans on Hummingbird. Mm-hmm. I love the song. Yeah, which is an amazing song. But but what the hell does that mean? Uh, right. I, I why is it's a Civil War song? Yeah. Somehow, why are they but... writing a Civil War song? It's because it's, it's and why is South. it stuck on the very end of an album? But the stuff is 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 very in in the dark, and um, so I want to play. Sounds like it's not in the dark, but really, uh, if you listen to it, it's just fucking. Uh, this is this is an inspirational as inspirational a song as you can get from REM or anybody in the eighties, and it's, it's just fucking like, and you would dance to it, right? You wouldn't know what the fuck they are saying after twenty beers at a party, <laughs> and yet you wouldn't know what they were saying after two beers at a party. <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't know what they were saying after yeah, the beers. That's true, but uh, but but shaking through is uh, it shines a light on all this, and uh, so here we go. famous moaning chorus like that doesn't <laughs> amount to anything it just it, it just like every single goddamn thing these guys do on this album just gets inside and look i know they i'm impossibly biased impossibly biased but i can't imagine like you can listen to this now as a fan of music of rock and roll of indie rock of college rock and, and not have the same reaction and the thing is, like when you think of, when you say you're impossibly biased, and that's not, that's not necessarily true. You didn't make this. This isn't your kid. This isn't well, a yeah. member of your family. So when you usually when you say I'm impossibly biased, it's because you had something to do with it. You didn't have anything to do with this. You're not biased. You are actually recognizing how fucking brilliant this thing is, yeah. and how impo- and you with the knowledge of everything and all the history of music and everything that's that's come after it. Like you can actually recognize and see where this album bleeds into just about everything else that you actually love. Yeah, I mean, name the albums in the eighties that are big. This is this is one of them. <laughs> like not popular, not popular, like game changing. <laughs> you know, U two's War. We we yeah. we we call them out, but you know the the landmarks along the music timeline, and like. And it's a debut. And it's not like Weezer's fucking debut. <laughs> it's not like the Blue Album, which is just like, yeah, that was good. But, you know, it was a debut that changed the fucking game. And then... The fact that that there... And there is obviously disagreement about their later catalog getting to this level. Nothing yeah. really gets to this level, but they stayed true to this. Yeah. For so many decades, basically. Well, I think I think they did in, in some ways. In some ways, they, they you know this was the tempo for the first three. They shifted on, but on this work leisure. ethic and this this work ethic. Yeah, that, that's, what that's what I was getting right. to. That's what I was getting to. Like there, there is still familiarity to be found throughout their entire catalog going forth from here. But because uh, obviously they got to sing about different stuff. Right, like but it, but also, yeah. there didn't come a point in time where they kind of shifted to be more mainstream, where mm-hmm. they sold out, where mm-hmm. you could feel that the influence wasn't a change that was coming um, organically from themselves. Yeah, yeah. So I, I guess the question is: is we know why we 
love this, why we're talking about it, why we're not really saying much. We're just fanboying out about it. But <laughs> but why should people pay attention to like this album and this band in particular uh, as far as if they're looking for like something better than Grizzly Bear, for example? <laughs> <laughs> Like what? Why? Why uh, is this? Because I think it is. I think in 2018 it's still like remarkably uh, pertinent and important. I'll say, like for Grizzly Bear, for example, hmm. I really like a lot of individual Grizzly Bear songs. Uh-huh. But you, I, there's not a, a a reason for me to sit down and listen to like a Grizzly Bear album right. or. You would have to put together like three albums and then pull the songs <laughs> that are decent off of it and put them into a greatest hits of Grizzly Bear mm-hmm. before I would like have an hour to listen to that would actually bring as much like musical knowledge or joy or, oh my God, that is so fucking good as any one single R.E.M. album. There, th- th- there are some songs that are not as great as the other songs on the album on, not on, this on album. any of the first three. I don't know. I think I think every song on here is like a winner has its place. So we're gonna like, have an arm wrestling. We're gonna have a we're gonna yeah, have yeah. a Thunderdome over yes. whether it's all songs are perfect or one or two <laughs> might be stronger than the others. Maybe that's a ridiculous reason to have a Thunderdome. It is. It is. <laughs> um, but but the, all of their albums in this in this first like the first three or four, I, I would even say green. I, I mean, I, I'm going out on a limb. Green mm-hmm. is even, I feel like a perfect album that there's not yeah. a song on there. I'd throw away any of the the first decade of REM. You could listen to that entire album and you're going to get something out of it. We shouldn't, you don't need to convince somebody to listen to something that's good. You shouldn't need to listen to them. Well, this is really important. So you should know about mm-hmm. it. Just yeah. listen to this because it's fucking good. Right. If you have not sat down and listened to this entire album, do it. And then send Kevin a thank you note. Yeah, if you're and if you're a musician and haven't like and you don't know about this, if you're a musician, <laughs> what the hell? No, if you're a musician and have a guitar, <laughs> if you're a drummer <laughs> and you're a drummer, because I can't even look. I I am the world's biggest Bill Berry stand because from the get go, like the only thing the after listening, I in the thousands of listens of this album that I've had. I cannot pay attention to anything anymore about how good Bill Berry's drumming is, and it, it, it is how people like disparage Ringo and like by just forgetting about him. Like he is the other great rock, unsung rock and roll drummer. You heard a lot about it when you get to Lacey's Pageant. They were like they put him in a fucking elevator shaft. It sounded huge, and it's like, but this still sounds huge. It's right. like, what are you doing, dude? And it's just. And now he's just like a redneck who survived an aneurysm on a farm, as he should be. <laughs> like, that's... Anybody that um, that is looking for... I mean, if you like Crowded House, for example. Yeah. Like, Crowded House has this same sort of depth to their songs. I agree. I and agree. the craftman, craftsmanship of their songs. Uh-huh. And... Came out at a, kind of about the same time as a lot a little of this. later. Was that a little later. Like I think that yeah, was also was, like eighty yeah. five was a huge year. Yeah. This was eighty three, <laughs> but it was written in eighty one and eighty two, which they didn't really have the influences of what came later. Right, right. So you don't really know how much uh, Crowded House was influenced by these yeah. guys. Frankly, oh, I'm but, sure. Um, I'm sure. Tons. They would have to be, but the, to try to convince somebody that you need to listen to this because it's the birthplace of everything that you've loved about quality music since then <laughs> you shouldn't have to you shouldn't have to look at it as a historical artifact you should listen to it as something that you should be listening to every day because it is fucking good and so, so you're saying you better. you're saying you could just like slide it into a dj set and yeah. people would be like yep what is this <laughs> I, I mean i agree well I, you can't say that about evo because my kid is amazing and she'd listen to anything and think it's good because yeah. she actually unlike most 17 year olds has some decent taste but uh, but I think you could put this in front of your average 27-year-old and say, hey, you're mm. feeling some angst? Listen to this. <laughs> feeling angsty about graduate school uh, debt and you don't have a job? Want to dance? Like, yeah. It's like, put on <laughs> you this. Wanna, like, you want to yeah. sit, you sit you in a chair sad? and sway like, around a kitchen? Wanna, yeah, right. it's like, yeah. It's, it is uh, a lot of... And this honestly gets into a little bit what their name... No, but they never said what their name it's always yeah. everybody just assumed it and they never and they never contradicted they always it, so. said so so it could be rem 
like the REM movement for dreams. Mm-hmm. My right, favorite take. Movement. Yeah, random mind movement. Um, my favorite take is remember every moment. Uh, and uh, okay, yeah, <laughs> news to me. Um, I was thinking about something. You know, when I think about the band and how it created this. Um, you know, you're getting back to the joint songwriting credits for every record. Uh, and they, you know, they hired the people as their managers when they were, you know, basically little over teenagers. Yeah. And those people still run REM Athens, the yep. company. They still run the company decades of decades later. Well, it's not Jefferson Holt, but that's not, not even there. there. Yeah, but Burtis Downs, <laughs> yeah. et cetera. But there's such loyalty amongst the band members, between the band members and their fans, between the fans. And the band, you know, there's still a tremendous degree of um, of uh, loyalty that they, you know, embodied in the way that they wrote their songs and the way that they presented their music was unified. And as a result, there was no there was no risk of stipe, you know, saying, "Sorry, guys, I'm going to go off and do a big solo album now." Even though he was asked, he was he was course. asked many times. Of course, he's done some solo projects just oh, kind of yeah, here but, and there, yeah, but, but but it's always but, for charity. It's never and, for yeah. it's it's always like he's writing a song for New Orleans or it's something. Never, well, it's, not, it's never anything <sighs> about I'm going to step away from the band. It was, right. As long I'm, as the band was there, right. they were a unified entity. And, and I'm glad you mentioned that because you know the other thing about this album not just this album but their career is that they really did set the we see how people are trying to the the ways they're trying to make it the things they have to think they have to do to make it and the reality is is what what i always tell people is you need a lawyer find a friend that's a lawyer <laughs> like a friend an actual like Somebody is going to do this, and that, and and somebody pre- who cares about you. Yeah, somebody who cares about you, and present a unified front. Like, make it your, you you are the thing. Like there, there was no question from the moment they started that, like, okay, this is what we're doing. We're not some separate thing. Maybe, like you said, maybe I'll get famous and do some solo project. It was, this is our thing, and this is the only thing we believe in. We concentrate. I know so many musicians now who are playing like 20 bands and I'm like, what are you doing? What are you doing? You live in an age where you don't need to even play in a band. Just fucking like record it in your basement and put it out. Like, or in the backseat of your car. <laughs> or your mom's car. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and it really put forth a model of uh, of uh, just being a, being a damn band. Like from contractually, you got to have your bands back. Like take everything off the table. What do you, what do you want to do as a band? You want to make music. And even That's for, the only thing you want to do. Even for the distance that they create um, between themselves and their fans, mm-hmm. um, they still are. They they just give off the aura of being so much more connected to their fans. Where if you look at the other bands that were huge in this era, where yeah. you had U two and you had the Police, which were the two other mm-hmm. just massive massive bands you look at like the the youtube band the tour that came through here last summer that <laughs> yeah. was it's like she went to huh and uh, it was incredible yeah. was but that is not a an intimate small venue connection with the audience yeah. thing that is we are teeny tiny specks behind the this gigantic scoreboard of lights going on with the show behind <laughs> us and then, you know, the, the police broke up very quickly after that, after synchronicity. Yeah. And then everybody went their separate ways and Sting became this massive asshole. <laughs> so he may have redeemed himself playing with Shaggy now. Neither here nor there. I mean his his solo stuff, take his take the music for what you will, but yeah. that guy's just a dick. You don't have and you have like Bono saying like stupid fucking things that right. just are right. ridiculous, and forgetting his wife's birthday and having to put a whole song out about it. But think about the, the everything the has most, to be this. Bi- There's no intimacy in those bands. But think anymore. about the most like uh, aggressive thing like Michael Stipe or REM ever did was when they were winning a Grammy. Mm-hmm. He he kept taking off, off his t-shirts, t-shirts to different causes <laughs> to raise pre-internet, like to to like raise inter- like. Okay, this is on national television. Pay attention to this. Pay attention to this. Pay attention to this. 
And I think that speaks to like what they wanted to do and what they honestly what they still do, man. Yeah. Mike Mills plays in the uh the big star band. Mm-hmm. Peter Buck plays in the baseball well, Mike Mills plays in the and, baseball and club. And Peter Buck has a record out with um with uh, the former lead singer of well, sometimes lead singer of Slater Kinney when with yeah. filthy friends when they're when they when Slater Kinney is Oh not yeah, that's active. right. That came out last year, yeah. And it's and it's really fun. Yeah, <laughs> and and they're still now they're set, the only person who isn't actually well two People who aren't active, Stipe isn't really active, and Bill Barry is just like riding his tractor. <laughs> and because because they made the thing that like uh, you, the world can drain from this album. Never mind their whole catalog. The world can drain from this, and this will never run empty. It will always have something to give, uh, and that's a remarkable feat. There's not many albums like this. And I think that's why we're perfect R- circle again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's why we're REM fans because there's not many albums like this. And later on, it's just it, it's not necessarily albums and songs, but it's like there's not many songs like the stuff they do. And uh, and that is, uh, I I don't know where that fits in 2018 or modern music space, but uh, at the same time, I, I, it doesn't really matter. Because- My kid will still pull like Day Sleeper hmm. just out of nowhere. Because we That's listened to it when she, was, when she was 10. Yeah. She'll just be like, you know what? That song, like, I was in the shower this morning. It got stuck in my head. I have to listen to it 40 times. <laughs> yeah. And so we'll just be driving around, and she'll be listening and singing Day Sleeper at the top of her lungs. Just some random song off of one of their, you know, middle-of-the-road albums. Yeah. And this album is why I keep going back to the later output once Bill Berry quit, uh, uh, hoping that somehow I get it. <laughs> I, I I can't dismiss it. Like right. the, the three people, like you just can't quit them. No, yeah, I can't. I can't. The three people, three out of four are involved, and 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 what they made just in this album is so magical that it, it, it like I can't be like, well, you guys suck now. It, it's it goes beyond fandom. I think if you understand how this album works. And how the band worked on people and when it hit and it just gets into like this is objectively like one of the great pieces of art. And I mean, there's not there's not many times we can point and like like, yeah, that. <laughs> if we're gonna be remembered artistically as people, like I want this as to a be species. A, yeah, as a species. <laughs> I want this to be out there and mm-hmm. be like, Yeah, you did that. If the aliens come down, they listen to this, and they listen to like Space Oddity and whatever else is floating around up there in space from time to time. Three Eleven's Transistor. Oh my gosh! <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> and they say, okay, this is a reason that Amer- that you know humans should be allowed to live. That, mm-hmm. That'd be okay. I'll tell you what, it's not going to be is goddamn PYT. <laughs> what? No. Where, where does this come no. from? Same year. Oh, PYT was the same year. Okay. That's I get racist. It. I get it. It's not racist. It's okay. It's not racist at all. It's okay. Uh, at any rate, thank you guys for uh, coming down and like doing around this because that's exactly that's all we do. Just Thanks for having us in the basement yeah, for this love you. letter to REM. Yeah, yeah. It, if 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 this oh, this gush put onto I'm so, onto tape. I am if if this if is this really on, is this on real to real? Yeah. If <laughs> you have not real. heard this album, uh, what is wrong with you? Come on. Do it. I'm just going to call you out. If you have not heard this album, what is wrong? Why are you listening to us talk about it? Yeah. Go listen to the goddamn album. Yep. Yep. I'll, I'll, I'll cut that into the intro. <laughs> That's the entire Stop intro. Stop right now. <laughs> Stop right now. Go listen to the album. Uh, cool. RM's uh, murmur, and it is, uh, it is perfect. Thanks, Kevin. Ariam's murmur uh, right there. Um, it would be it'd be wild if you have not heard this album and this was your intro to this. I want to hear from you. Uh, podcast at chunkyglasses.com or just Kevin at chunkyglasses.com uh, because I think you can find a lot of what people like in specifically indie rock today. 
that maybe somehow, some way, they just never clued into these early records of REM, and and uh, and it's all there, and it's great. So, um, yeah, thanks to the gang for hanging out, and uh, we finally got this one in the can. This has been coming for a long time. We're going to talk a little bit more about REM uh, later on this year, I think, uh, sort of a whole whole episode about the whole band and all that. Uh, and that is it. We are we are basically out of here. Um, if you liked what you heard, please subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a rating or a message there. Uh, you can also listen to us on Google Play, Mixcloud, Stitcher, SoundCloud. No, not SoundCloud. We No, we stopped SoundCloud. Uh, Spotify, though. You can get us on Spotify. Uh, and uh, you can email us, like I said, at podcast.chunkyglasses.com with any feedback. Listen to us on the site at www.chunkyglasses.com. There you'll see the amazing work of Matt Condon, Mauricio Castro, and Avery Junius. They are out there covering the live stuff. Uh, something I might be getting back into a little bit here. Got some got some interesting plans because we're gonna take a gonna take a quick break in July and rejigger some stuff. Um, so you can do that. And as always, thanks to our podcast host Pippa.io. Go there with a good idea, give them a small fee, and they can have a podcast up and running for you in no time. Uh, you actually get a free sort of like mini site with it now. It's not there's not much to it, but it's a place for people to find you if all you are is a podcast and that's all you want to be. Uh, no shame in that. No shame in that. I went a different route, but you know, just gonna do a podcast. That's that's cool. Um, we're gonna be back next week on Monday. We're gonna have a Sounds of Washington D.C. That's gonna be a uh, epic conversation. We have, I believe, Chris Richards is gonna. Just assuming everything pans out, Chris Richards is gonna be here. Vivian Paul is gonna be here. Paul is leaving us, so I mean, one of his last appearances. And uh, we're gonna be talking about hardcore. And punk, and uh, we're gonna break the seal. We've never really talked about Fugazi here, but we're gonna do that a little bit. And then uh, starting our little run of Phil Cook coverage. Phil came and sat down the other weekend. Me and Eduardo had a great time chatting with him. So on Thursday, next Thursday, you're gonna get that interview. And his album, uh, People Are My Drug, is out that Friday. Um, and then uh, on that Monday, we're going to play, we're going to do the review of the album, and then that Friday he's here back in D.C. He's playing at Songbird on the 8th of June. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be a good, it's going to be a fun few weeks, and I hope it's fun for you. Uh, we are out of here. We'll talk to you in a few short days. Until then, be good to your ears, but be better to your people. Talk to you soon. Kenobi! <laughs> 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 <laughs>